Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is going to be amazing. It's a topic I've been wanting to explore forever and a doc I've wanted to have on this show for even longer. His name is Dr. Bruce Hoffman, and we're going to talk about mast cell activation syndrome, cellular membrane stability, and everything associated with it. But before we do that, I do want to thank one of our sponsors who is MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition. So MitoPure, if you haven't been listening to this podcast for too long, you might not know is the first product to offer a precise dose of urolithin A that supports mitophagy and increases cellular energy. So why is this important? Well, mitochondria become damaged and dysfunctional over time, which leads to the production of harmful byproducts and the disruption of normal cellular function. This is a huge issue. Mitophagy ultimately helps in maintaining healthy mitochondria by eliminating these damaged ones, which allows for the proper functioning of cells and overall cellular health. It also encourages the body to make new mitochondria. So optimizing your cellular health is crucial for maintaining healthy tissues, organs, and systems in your body. So not just, MitoPure has been shown clinically to improve performance in muscle, but it's also been shown to improve immune function, brain function, heart function. It is amazing. Well, I mean, frankly, mitochondria critical to every single system. So MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition gives you three ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A. There's a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure. There's also a berry or a ginger powder that easily mixes into smoothies or just about any drink. I love it in my yogurt in the morning sometimes if I have yogurt and for my as part of my breakfast. And finally, they have these amazing soft gels that you can use for travel. I would recommend that you consider the starter pack because that lets you try all three forms of MitoPure so you can figure out which one is your favorite. So Timeline's offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. All you have to do is go to timelinenutrition.com forward slash NAT10 and use code NAT10 to get 10% off your order. All right, now let's talk a little bit more about the episode. So imagine a condition that affects virtually every organ, eludes the standard diagnostic criteria, this is where people get gaslit all the time, and causes multi-system inflammation. Meet the perplexing world of mast cell activation syndrome, otherwise known as MCAS. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Hoffman to discuss this complex condition and explore the critical role of mast cells in our immune system. Mast cells are our body's first line of defense against foreign invaders, allergen, and environmental toxins. However, they can become hyperactive in response to triggers like environmental toxins, heavy metals, mold, and even early developmental trauma. And we talk about that in the episode. This can ultimately lead to a cell danger response, which essentially sends the body into a protective shutdown. And if this is you, you might be that person that seems to react to everything. Dr. Hoffman is amazing. He's just the kindest, most knowledgeable, unbelievable guy. He's board certified, has a fellowship in anti-aging medicine, as well as a master's degree in clinical nutrition. He is also a certified functional medicine practitioner. 
In addition to his clinical training, Dr. Hoffman has studied with many of the leading mind, body, and spiritual healers of our times, including people like Deepak Chopra, Paul Lowe, Osho, Ramesh Balsakar, and John Kabat-Zinn, who wrote the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Great, great book. I highly recommend you read that. Dr. Hoffman specializes in complex medical conditions, and he is the medical director of the Hoffman Center of Integrative Medicine in Alberta, in Canada, in Calgary, in Alberta and Canada. And so to learn more about Dr. Hoffman or to reach out to him, if you think that you might want to talk to him about something that's going on in your world, uh, you just need to go to the hoffmancenter.com. We'll put that in the show notes. And that's H-O-F-F-M-A-N center, C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And uh, that's the website. And you can find out about all the amazing things that they do there. Okay, before we jump into the episode, I have one more sponsor I need we need to thank, and then we're going to rock on. So want to talk to you about Element, an electrolyte drink that I am obsessed with. Um, I dump a single packet into my one and a half liter water bottle. Now, this is important because if you put it in too little water, it's going to be too concentrated. So one and a half liter bottle, and I sip on it throughout the day. And not only does it help me drink more water because it tastes so amazing, but it also ensures that my electrolyte levels are always balanced. And these this balance ensures that you regulate fluid balance. It helps with digestion, circulation, temperature regulation, helps to maintain the body's pH balance, which is ultimately vital for enzyme activity and biochemical reactions, as well as optimizing nerve and muscle function. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium with no junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, bottom line, no BS. So, Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. And this is an amazing way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend like I just did last night. So get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash nat. Now, Element has no ease in it. So drinklmnt.com forward slash nat. And this deal is only available through my link. So you've got to go there. Now, one last thing I will say about these guys is they offer a no questions asked refunds policy. You get to try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, just share what's left with a salty friend and they will give you your money back with no questions asked. You literally have nothing to lose. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please make sure that you share it with your friends and your network if you get value from it. And of course, if you're feeling inspired, leave us a review and that's it. Let's get in. Let's get into it with Dr. Bruce Hoffman. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Dr. Bruce Hoffman, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much, Yeah. So we are gathered here today. We're going to, we're going to explore, let's say the universe or the world of MCAS. I mean, there's many other things I know you could talk to speak to, but MCAS being mast cell activation syndrome, which is, you know, in good company with one of the most vexing kind of health issues that people deal with. And I think in part, because it's not well understood. It's very disruptive to people who suffer with it. 
And it's tough to get a diagnosis. And even if you get a diagnosis, it's really hard to figure out how to stabilize those little mast cells. So I thought maybe we could start with explaining to people what the heck a mast cell is and why we even need them, because, you know, let's just get rid of the buggers if they're overactive. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> it would all be a huge up. mistake, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we just die a lot quicker. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't suffer, but you, wouldn't <laughs> well, you suffer. maybe would. But okay, well, let's talk about mast cells and what they do. Sure. So, um, you know, what mast cells are part of the innate immune system, and they provide protection against invading toxins. So they they send out they're about one percent of your white cells. So they're not not a huge component, but they're on all the surfaces of your tissue. They're in your eyes, your skin, your GI tract, your lungs. And they, they send out up to a thousand mediators of inflammatory substances in order to protect you from further toxic load. Wow. And in so doing, they create a huge sort of multi-symptom, multi-system array of symptomatology and in every single organ system of the body. If you look at Dr. Afrin, who's one of the pioneers in this work, if you look at his sort of, there's a chapter he has in one of his books he lists all the organs and all the symptoms. That's every single symptom in the book, really, in every single organ can be potentially a mast cell activation issue. Wow. The so patients who present with mast cell activation, you know, they go from pillar to post, from specialist to specialist, trying to find out why they don't feel well with waxing and waning symptoms over a lifetime, usually. And they never get um, diagnosed. They never get appropriately diagnosed because it's not just allergy it's inflammation with or without allergy so you can have inflammation and not be have the ige allergy typical symptomatology like rhinitis or you know asthma or urticaria or, or any of the ige true allergy type symptoms but you can be massively inflamed from muscle activation and um, have various symptoms that just evade normal diagnostic criteria right you know, yeah. So uh -huh. how does someone tell if they have inflammation, just inflammation, or if their inflammation is linked back to their mast cells? Well, it's a high index of suspicion, really. You know, you just, people who present with mast cell activation syndrome, they've been, you know, I've been sick for as long as I can remember. I had allergies as a child. Mm. I've been food intolerant. I've got unexplained anxiety and insomnia that won't go away. Uh, and they just, the, I have got eczema or skin rashes that won't respond. I've got poor wound healing abilities. I've got growths and uh, nodules on my skin that seem to grow, cherry angiomas that seem to come and go because my cells release growth factors that create little skin growths and skin tags and angiomas. Mm. So there's this multitude of present, multitude uh, ways of, of presenting. And yeah. If you don't really have a high index of suspicion, um, you can often miss the diagnosis. Wow. Okay. They also react to all the supplements. They react to all the foods. They yeah, react no. to stress. I mean, they I've just, spoken to people who can't take a supplement. Like they can't, can't we get them in our group, you know, like they, they're like, I can't take any supplements. I'm down to four foods. That's I it. just don't know what to do anymore. So a patient today, four foods, can't take anything. Like, what is that? That's insane. I insane it's insane so what do we think is there any theory about what causes these mast cells to go haywire like i mean this is clearly not 
you know, this is clearly not normal. This is not the way that they're intended to work. Like it's almost like an autoimmune thing, right? It's an immune system gone into overdrive. So what might drive, what do we think might be driving mast cells into the state of hypervigilance or hyperactivity? Well, we live in a a world that is somewhat um, overwhelming in terms of its capacity to invade our defenses. We mm. really have no idea how um, vulnerable we are to food, mental, environmental toxins, and how our body is just struggling to survive and keep abreast of this incoming wave of toxicity. And it's really overwhelming. And it's not hyperbole. It's not conspiracy theory. <sighs> it's real. Yeah. You know, we just aren't adjusted at this moment in our evolution to put up with all the microplastics and heavy metals and insecticides and pesticides and EMFs and mental stresses and buses that demand things of us. And, you know, it's endless, the toxic yeah. load. And my cells are trying to keep up. Are they trying to just protect you from going into this inflammatory response that, that, that then shuts down your body in the so-called cell danger response? Mm -hmm. Or if you look at the Pauget's autonomic polyvagal theory, the dorsal vagal response, where you shut yourself down to withdraw you from life so you don't keep exposing yourself to the things that are in incoming. So it's so a protective mechanism. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. the first, it's the infantrymen in the, on the battleground trying to say, hey, you know, I'm going to protect you to make sure you don't die. But in the meantime, we're going to wreak havoc with your organ system. We're shutting it down. We're <laughs> pulling yeah. you out of life. Stop doing it. Yeah. We're so, going to which crash is your We're going to crash your mitochondria. We're going to produce a fatigue state. So you can't get up and keep doing what you've been doing. That's how it works. The Robert Naveau's cell danger response is absolutely clinically relevant. If all those people are watching and listening, if they don't, aren't familiar with Robert Naveau's theory of the cell danger response, I would highly recommend they get up to speed immediately on, on his work, which has been going on for 10 years now, which he um, has carefully put together through multiple research papers, saying that, you know, when the mitochondria, the first the canaries in the coal mine, you've got these cells, we've got 70 trillion cells. Inside each cell, we've got, you know, 100 to 2,000 mitochondria. Mm -hmm. Mitochondria uh, drive the ATP. We produce like 70 kilograms of ATP a day. It's like ATP is, is it. It, and yeah. It's it. And mitochondria they're the most sensitive to this whole incoming onslaught. And as soon as they detect an overload of stresses, they change their outer membrane, they change their phospholipid structure, they change their voltage, and they literally undergo autophagy and die. And mm -hmm. they take you with them, you know. <laughs> and mast cell activation is one of the ways in which mitochondria get destroyed, cell, uh, the mediators of inflammation. And they okay. get treated by all the factors, you know, the, the chemicals, the metals, and the mold. So, okay, so let's so so let's talk about those all of those triggers, right? So, I mean, you've named now, you know, so there's 
there's the environmental toxins. So there's the mold, there's the heavy metals, there's the pollutants in the air, there's non-native EMFs that you mentioned as well, which some people seem to be more sensitive to than others. But anybody who thinks they're not being affected by them, I used to be one of those people. I used to be like, oh, I'm immune to EMFs until I was presenting at an event that happened to be in the middle of a field in Kentucky where you couldn't so much as get a cell phone response, like a cell phone signal in this place. And my aura ring kept working because I, I, you know, I just wore it, but it was, the nights were so cold and it was rainy and uncomfortable. And my HRV scores were off the charts. And I was like, and it was, it was the first time I, probably the first time I'd been away from, from the soup that we live in. And I was just like, Whoa, that's nuts. Like you don't know that you're, you don't know your body's responding something to something because sometimes because it's become your new normal. Like this is just how you are. Adjusted, yeah. Interestingly, mast cell activation works. EMFs trigger mast cells to create these inflammatory mediators, which open up the ionic receptors in the cell membrane, which increase intracellular calcium, which increases intracellular glutamate, which is neuroexcitatory and neurostimulate. So mast cell EMFs stimulate mast cell activation. That's how they work. Wow. That's how they wreak havoc. Interestingly, just on that point, I recently went to South Africa where they have load shedding. They have what? Load shedding. Every load four shedding. hours, they shut off electricity to certain parts of the country. Oh, you're kidding. So, yeah, so I'm in Cape Town, and every two or three hours, electricity goes off, dead. And interestingly, the people around me with EMF sensitivity were having the time of their life. They felt oh, so relaxed. God. So the whole country's in crisis because you can't get electricity, but the people with EMF are saying, this is heaven, I want to move here. Oh my God, that's hilarious. It's crazy and hilarious. Okay, so what do we do? So what do we do? So, I mean, look, EMFs is the big nut, right? Because you cannot remove yourself from EMF. And so is it possible, and I'm so I'm just literally asking you this, we've, we've mentioned all these different toxins. Is it possible that by reducing other toxins in the body, by reducing that overall toxin load, we can help to rebuild some resilience so that the EMFs aren't as dramatic? Um, yes and no. So okay. people who are electromagnetic hypersensitive will always tend to be you know, electromagnetic sensitive, but you can definitely lower the, the threshold. So, I mean, if I look at the major stresses for my cell activation, number one that trumps it, early developmental trauma. Interesting, yeah. It trumps it 100% of the time due to the dysregulated HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline axis. Those individuals are very susceptible to my cell activation. And that pathway has been well worked out. High, mm-hmm. high cortisol, adrenaline triggers muscle release. So early developmental trauma with ongoing stresses, mental stresses. Number two would be mold. Mold is a massive trigger of muscle activation. And then number three is food. High histaminic, high you know inflammatory foods. Those are the top three in my world. Then we go look for all the rest, the metals, the chemicals, the infections and everything else. Right. The gut dysbiosis, the microbiome triggers, yeah. 
Yeah, it always comes down to those same things. Okay, so it it you know it is crazy, right? It's it's we're as I interview different people, we're talking about different issues. So often, it just comes right back to all these things, and the the early developmental those aces, as people call it, aces. That early developmental trauma is so. Again, it's underreported. It's even under acknowledged, I think, by individuals themselves. Right? It's 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 gaining momentum. I mean, I don't think you can take a good medical history without doing an ACE score, even though the ACE score isn't it. There's much more to it. The mm-hmm. thing that we look for mostly is interrupted bonds with the mother. Interesting. When there's interrupted bonds with the mother, the HPA axis is usually quite dysregulated, and that system's in trouble. Mm. And this is, you know, and it's all unconscious dynamics. If you don't do a family constellation where you look into the unconscious dynamics and entanglements of family systems, you won't know that it's that potent an issue. Then you look at heart rate variability and see if they tweaked in the sympathetic dominance. And then you look at QEEGs, looking at brain waves to see if they have dysregulation between the different delta, theta, alpha, and beta brain waves. And you can tell this, these systems that are so dysregulated. And we do stress assessments looking for um, physical stress based on mental uh, triggers. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do with every mast cell activation patient is look at these parameters and suggest and insist that they learn self-regulation as the primary strategy before they even address the rest of it. If mm-hmm. these individuals aren't self-regulating and having the capacity to move between sympathetic and parasympathetic, because you heal in that coherent zone between the two, yeah. if they permanently in fight, flight, or collapse, don't even begin your work with the rest of it. Get them to self-regulate yeah. over and over and over every day, like working your biceps, morning, night, every hour, it takes nine months to a year to shift the neuroplasticity modules in the brain and to shift the default mode network that creates your sense of self. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Nobody wants to do it. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> you know? everybody wants it. But, but wait, wait, surely there's a drug or a supplement I could take. That would be so much easier than breathing or this coherent business. So what are the two... <laughs> You're laughing. I know. I know. I know. Listen, we all want the easy answer. And and sometimes human nature, it, it's yeah. actually is an easy answer. It just takes time and work and, and application. So what have you found to be the best tools? And I'm sure it varies from person to person because, I mean, I even find, you know, you're we're all in a world where we're in sympathetic yeah. state. So even without MCAS, we're trying to teach, we're trying to help people to figure out how they're going to get themselves out of this constantly activated state. And I've found that what works for one doesn't resonate for the other. Very, very individualized. Yeah. Yeah. Very. So, so how, the I, first I, thing we, we start yeah. with is, is, is we start with even good old heart math M wave training. I love heart so we, math. We yeah. just use that. We use that. Then we use neurobiofeedback. We use neurofeedback. We use about five different, six different strategies of neurofeedback. Mind lift, brain tap, all sorts of things. Yeah. Then we do vagal tone strengthening with Resimax and other devices. And if that's not helpful, we then refer to SE practitioners to do somatic work, to assist people in building a window of tolerance. 
whereby they can stay somewhat stabilized in the world of, you know, incoming stresses, and they don't disintegrate and uh, degranulate much yeah. at the at the first sign of something that they can't handle. You know, that is the core of treating myself in my world, in the world I w- work with. If that isn't enough, and usually it is enough to begin the process of then building back up. But that's where we begin, is self-regulation, neurobiofeedback, building a window of tolerance, building self-regulation, coherence, so that they're not so disintegrated. Uh, they don't, dis- they don't uh, um, fall apart as easily. Mm-hmm. And it can be a lot of work. You know, it can be a lot of work. Well, I mean, in the case, I mean, when you're talking about early developmental trauma, you're talking about broken bond, disrupted bonds with mom when they were babies. Like we're talking about deep, deep work here. Like we're, this isn't just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do a box breath and everything's going to be great. I mean, box breath might be helpful, but this is, I mean, this is, this is so interesting, right? Because it takes a physiological condition into the realm of, of mental health. It's, the interesting it's, thing, Natalie, is that, you know, we have this Cartesian body-mind split, which we know is not true. But the body-mind is one thing. There's no separation. Yeah. There's not a, there isn't a body and a mind. There's, a, there's one phenomena. And those two are equal. Yeah. So whatever your internal dialogue is from your early developmental or inherited family trauma, you yeah. can you can act out your grandmother's grief. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. inherited trauma, early developmental trauma. If you don't try and create some conscious insight into what actually happened and what you've inherited and what's not yours to act out, you can't begin the process of down regulation. Because I work in these layers and levels of healing, from you know the so-called self or or soul down to mind and ego down to emotion down to brain and energetics down to biology and structure down to toxicology and the external environment if you don't heal at the higher levels which trickle down to biology you can't go at biology no because all of this is impeding the you know it's it's, it's impeding the the flow of electrons uh, yeah you know and well, and you're hanging on, right? Like there, are the, the body's hanging on to stuff, and it won't let go. Almost. Unconscious dynamics of entanglement can ruin your life, and you won't even know it because it's before memory was developed at the age of three or four. Yeah. So you need somebody skilled in how to interpret family systems, inherited trauma, and early developmental trauma, and apply it to physiology and practice. It's just, it's, it needs, you need to somebody very well trained in that who can really lead you through that and and put you into a practical approach on how to manage it. Yeah. So, but now everybody that, that stuff that presents with MCAS doesn't necessarily have that early childhood trauma. And yet, but, but you, but you're going in position is most, if not all people still have some degree of, of a self of a regulation issue in the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Almost always, yeah. Which then mm-hmm. translates into the gut through the vagus nerve, of course. So they get gut dysmotility and all sorts of dysautonomias of the vagal tone. Then they get, you know, you have these pent these triads and pentads, symptoms go together. We've got the muscle activation pots, hypermobility people. The EDS the, people. Hmm. There's a triad. You see them a lot. 
together. You know, then you get a pentad where you get dysautonomia, and you get autoimmune disease. That's the pentad. So that and adds on to the first three. Yeah. They all they go around like a you know like a water in a sort of drain. They they swirl around each other, and the one precedes the other, and then they just sort of feed off each other. And the phenotype that presents often females age 15 to 45 is a very common phenotype of people presenting in that way. Much more hypermobile, much more myosome, much more potsy. A lot of pots, a lot of dysautonomia. Yeah. So, but with EDS, which is yeah. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, for those of you listening who don't know what EDS is, that's a genetic condition, is it not? Not, or are not you necessarily. There's different subcategories of Ehlers-Danlos. Helos Danlos, sort of hypermobile type 3, there's no genetics, particular genetics that drive it. There's just a predisposition to it. But there are genetic Helos Danlos conditions, of course, yeah. Well, these people who just don't make collagen or they don't make it efficiently or they don't make enough or they don't make a certain type. I mean, I have a, I have a friend, you know, I didn't know anything about EDS. And I mean, this is a woman who literally had to have all of the teeth pulled out of her mouth because they were just breaking like she, you know, her her body wasn't forming the connective tissue yeah. to, to hang on to them. Like it's it's pretty in, intense at its most extreme. You just, you know, you ask people, are you dizzy when you stand up? That's do you pots, get palpitations? Yeah. You know, do you get nausea and vomiting and without any real cause? And that's the POTS sort of symptom. Then you do the 10-minute standing test, looking at blood pressures and pulses. And then the other one is you just do on Zoom, you do the Biton score, you know. Right. Can you bend your thumb on here? Can you bend your finger back? Let me look at your elbow. It takes 30 seconds. Yeah, and it's and done. Then you see they go hypermobile, they got POTS, and then the mast cell symptoms are every, you know, they're just inflamed and allergic and urticaria and angioedema and, Allergy symptoms and runny nose, runny eyes, seasonal allergies, uh, joint pain. And so for these people, still we start with the autonomic regulation. I mean, there's whole programs now built around it, the DNRS and the Gupta and this and that. But I don't find them deep enough, quite frankly. You don't? Interesting. Well, I guess especially if there's ACE. I mean, if there's early childhood trauma, they're not they're not going to go there. Because it implies it's sort of like a, it's sort of a, an intellectual imposition over an unconscious dynamic. And you can't, you need to, you need to make unconscious dynamics conscious. Right. You only heal through consciousness. You don't heal by just slapping things on people. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, take this, take that, do this, go do. Yeah. Well, ah. actually it adds more stress to the system to What's some this? degree. And with you know, you can't change a negative thought by thinking a positive thought. That doesn't work. Well, but, not not at that point. You can't. <laughs> the unconscious dynamic needs to be looked at, understood, and transformed. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And so you need consciousness to unravel some of these entities. Okay. So step one is identifying that indeed a person is dealing with MCAS, which presents, I mean, I think the people with the worst cases of MCAS know at this point, they have a constellation of symptoms that are inexplicable and unresolved. They they don't respond to anything, right? Or they respond badly to things they should respond well to. Mm-hmm. So once, once we've hopefully gotten to a point where 
we've gotten, we've helped them to regulate their nervous system because nobody's going to do it for them, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is really helping in the individual tap into their own ability to self-regulate. Understand the unconscious dynamics and self-regulate and know why they're self-regulating. If you don't explain the reason, if you don't provide salience, you are doing these exercises for this reason because Mm -hmm. you want to end up over here you're now over here to get you this way it's like going to the gym you have to practice and you have to get feedback and you have to check in with your provider to see if you're making progress with self-regulation you don't just say oh you need to meditate and do box breathing no No. you create relevance and you link it and you measure it and you see progress that's has to be sort of supervised and with feedback Well, you're rewiring the brain, right? And you're essentially trying to overcome the dominance of your inner Darth Vader, who's basically saying, dude, I'm just trying to keep you alive. You don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the toughest one to rewire because it's the it's the big bully that hides behind, I'm just trying to keep you alive. You just don't know what's good for you. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we have our default mode network, which creates our sense of self. We have our internal dialogue. We have our defense structures. We have all these things in place that often keep us from knowing what the hidden dynamics are. Mm. Mm-hmm. We have very sophisticated entities and, and with lots of slippery sort of corners, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's not linear. It's not, you know, we trained in N squared, D squared medicine. Name of disease, name of drug, single organ, single drug. It is completely without merit when you come to complex illness, when you're trying to do whole person healing. It yeah. has the cupboard is bare. There is nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, to- which is what happens to these people, right? They're desperate. I mean, I see them in my Facebook community. By the time they, they show up there, they've tried everything. They've mm-hmm. been everywhere. They've been told that they're crazy half the time. After 90% of the time, put on an SSRI and refer to the psychiatrist. Yeah, which is which is almost the answer, but not quite. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're at least we're going to the head, but we're not we're not doing it with the right intention. You also named mold, high histamine foods. These are things that can probably that I'm guessing you're addressing while you're helping this person to do absolutely, this work, absolutely. right? Because take a history of mold exposure, which is almost in every case there. Although mold is ubiquitous, you know, it's hidden. It's everywhere. So it's everywhere. So you got there's different ways to measure mold illness, and there's simple, quick ways which everybody falls into the trap. They do a urine mycotoxin test to say I got mold illness. No, that's not mold. That's not chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is a mold inflammatory condition. You've got urine mycotoxins. It doesn't mean you've got SIRS. SIRS is is the real diagnosis. You've got got to take a history. You've got to fail the visual contrast test. You've got to look at the cytokines. You've got to look at the IGL test for the intracellular mold species and the mycotoxins. Yes, you can do a urine mycotoxin test, but that is not diagnostic. It's just indicative of a possibility. You've got to do Ermes or Hertz Me Too's in the home. You've got to measure mold spores. There's a lot to making a diagnosis of chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which, by the way, is closely linked to mast cell. I was going to say, like, they're they're kind of freaking frack, the two of them, right? Because you're they they feed each they feed off each other. Mold's a terrible trigger of mast cell. Terrible trigger. 
it's and it's ubiquitous it's 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 everywhere and it doesn't mean mold in this home it could be the mold that you were in three homes ago that's still in your system that hasn't been bound up and excreted so are there people that are more susceptible to that kind of thing? Yes, yes. Like they, I know yes. genetically there's genes yeah. that show yeah. that you yeah. might be more, like some people just their body can't clear it somehow. Yeah, Shoemaker, Richard Shoemaker developed all the genetics around mold toxicity and the inability to clear mold. Mm-hmm. So there and, is a genetic predisposition. Only 25% of the population are so-called mold sensitive. I don't think that figure is correct. I think it's much more. Well, there's probably other genes somewhere that we just don't, you know, there's so much we don't know in in genetics. Um, But the spouse of a mold patient will go, what's wrong with you? I don't see mold. I don't feel mold. I'm fine. What's wrong with you? But then the the poor wife is 25%. The husband's part of the 75%. They don't crash with mold, but, you know, the child or the wife's on the floor with mold exposure. And it doesn't make any sense because it's a hidden toxin most of the time. For sure. Then, then, you, then you go scratching and then you find it behind the drywall. You find it in the dishwasher. You find it behind the washing machine. In you the washing it, machine, in that in rubber thingamabobby. Right yeah. there. In yeah. the lift up the toilet along the, the you know, the wall that. Uh, well, you smell. I mean, I smell mold. I will walk into a place and smell it, and my husband will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, Not everybody smells it, but those yeah. who do. They, you know, they train dogs to smell for it. It's I'm like that dog. <laughs> I smell mold and I taste rancid oils. Other people are like, I don't understand why you don't like this. I'm like, dude, this peanut butter or almond butter is rancid. And they they look at me like I'm crazy. And I look at them like, I'm so sorry for you that your taste buds are dead. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. You can smell mold and it's musty for sure. Yeah. Some yeah. people can anyway. So do binders help in a situation uh, like that? Oh, absolutely they do. But the common error, again, once again, there's many errors that get made in this holistic functional world of ours. People get, you know, they go down the mold. Oh, I've got mold. Well, mold may be one of your triggers, but let's look for everything else as well. Sure. Mold's a big trigger. And if you do have mold and you do have inflammation from mold and you have chronic inflammatory response syndrome from mold and your mitochondria have undergone cell death because of mold, then you do have to a, a, remove yourself, clean yeah. up, do remediation. And you use binders, but what is taught is you use cholestyramine as one of the primary binders. But cholestyramine is highly absorbent of all the fats and oils. So if you don't check their fatty acid status and you go throw cholestyramine as a binder, that person's going to crash in front of your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, that the, the cholest, it's funny. I have a box of it sitting there and I haven't touched it because I just kind of, it's one of those ones where I'm like, hmm, I'm not so sure it's worth the downside. I'd rather take a whole lot of other stuff and, I it don't also know. depends what what mycotoxin you're secreting, whether cholestyramine is going to be of benefit. Effective. So you it's really have for, to do that testing to figure out what is at play here. It's best for the ochratoxins, you know. But but um, what I do is I do the body bio uh, Kennedy Krieger fatty acid test, and that measures all your omega sixes, all your omega threes, all your omega nines. It measures your demyelination of your of your uh, fatty acids, mm. and you can see if your total lipid con- count is below minus thirty. Don't touch cholestyramine; you're going to crash right. that patient. 
Interesting. Okay. So I use the body by fatty acid test as my one of my primary tests that I use. Oh no, I didn't realize they had one. I I just um, there's another company that does an omega a fatty acid test, but I don't know if it's as detailed as that one. But you know what? They'll no, even it's not. It's not. I'm just going to say. I'm going to tell you that the only test worth doing is the Kennedy Krieger test, and it measures all these fatty acids. Body Buyer have developed software to interpret. Mm. Nice. It's the software from Body Buyer. It's not the test. The test is Kennedy Krieger. Okay. There's a, a research-based lipid panel. Okay, Kennedy Krieger. Yeah, and it's the only one worth doing, but you've got to put it through the Body Buyer software because they either give you a nice one-page handout, omega-6s, nice. omega-3s, lipids, you know, and do this, do that. It's the software that really orientates you to the test. Hey guys, quick interruption to the episode to let you in on a huge announcement and to thank our final sponsor. Our final sponsor is Profound Health and they are purveyors of oral bioregulator peptides and that's the actual extracts of tissues, glands and organs of animals in capsules. So it contains the bioregulator peptide plus all those cofactors and we use bioregulators to help the body to regenerate at a cellular level all of these different tissues and organs. If you want to learn more about bioregulator peptides, you can definitely go to the profound-health.com website and learn more there. Or you can go back earlier this summer, I recorded a podcast on bioregulator basics that you might find interesting. They also have other amazing anti-aging supplements as well as synthetic bioregulators that are bioavailable just by little drops under the tongue. Now, on your first order, you will get to save 15% off with discount code LONGEVITY15. All right. So once again, that's profound-health.com. And now let's get back to the episode. Well, listen, the a test is not worth the paper it's on if you don't know what to do with it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like literally, there's no point doing it unless you're going to, you're getting a roadmap with it. So, or somebody who knows how to interpret it. So, okay. So we, we measure those. And then the high histamine foods, so that this now looks like the low-hanging fruit. This is the easy stuff compared to dealing with your early childhood trauma that may or may not have happened from the time you were in the womb, and then dealing with mold, which, you know, remediation is an ugly, ugly thing because half the time it doesn't work. Like once once mold is in that environment. And, you know, it's like mold is probably one of the most well-adapted organisms on the face of the planet. Like it, it's, it's insidious. So let's say we're kind of doing what we can for the mold, getting away from the high histamine foods becomes the next thing. And these are the people who tell you, you know, you say to them, well, listen, have some bone broth or have a protein shake. And they're like, what? It's like, they, they go into like, no bone broth, no fermented foods. They just like crash a person over. And, and leftovers are a disaster for these people. Nice and stuff. I live on leftovers, but I mean, like to them, a leftovers is, it, it just is not okay. You can freeze <laughs> your food and then eat it the next day, but don't leave yeah. it in the fridge overnight. Yeah. Those, so some people get away with it for 12 hours, but the very severe people, they know they can't do that, you know. So we do, but we, I do, um, paleo autoimmune low histamine, then add in the oxalates and you know the FODMAPs if they have those issues. But it's usually paleo autoimmune low histamine high fat. Right. We usually replace the lipids along with reju- uh, re- removing the inflammatory foods. 
So replacing the lipids is a big deal. And this is the body bio stuff. This is restoring the cellular membrane integrity. So let's talk about that a little bit, what those lipids are. Yeah. Yeah. So I do do, um, the body bio fatty acid test. I do the IGL mitochondrial test. That test measures phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylethylalamine. The ethylalamines on the inner membrane of the mitochondria, where your electron transport chain takes place. Mm-hmm. It also measures the body voltage. So if those phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylethylalamine, body voltage are all affected, you know you've got to replace with phospholipids. Then the body by a fatty acid test measures the omega-6s and all the omega-3s and the myelinated fats and the omega-9s and the saturated fats. It measures all of them. Mm-hmm. So between that and the IGL mitochondrial test, I determine what needs to be done to repair mitochondria and move people out of the cell danger response, which takes three to six months to do. It's long. It's a long project. Yeah, but that's but there's a path to it, right? There's and I think by the time people come to you, three to six months doesn't sound so bad when they've been suffering for years. I'm, yep. I'm sure. So so high fat. So you're saying high high fat of the right fats kind of diet. You've, you've got to analyze what they're deficient in. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to replace that particular fat. So we have all these kind of oils that have different uh, structures that replete, like primrose oil for, you know, DGI. We've got different oils for different deficiencies. Interesting. So you just very you choose your, your fat replacement accordingly. That's amazing. So you're literally kind of going at it, like repl- like rebuilding that cellular membrane to Absolutely. help it to regain function. And so do you do you see people actually start to stabilize at some point? Oh. Like I mean it, it sounds amazing, right? No, like no, no. it must be it must be for these people where they wake up one morning and all of a sudden they no. may not itch or they don't have a rash or it, they they get better when the test starts improving, they feel better. And they repair their cell membranes, they repair the mitochondria, they stabilize the muscles usually with diet and mast cell stabilizers, which we haven't discussed. And then they stabilize the autonomic nervous system and amygdala so they're not so twitchy and so reactive all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so you get, get all the things going. So let's talk about those mast cell stabilize- stabilizers you said, right? Yeah. So we use these nutraceuticals and there's, you know, we use the HIST-DAO enzyme, which we measure. There's the t- test from Precision Labs, measures DAO. There's a DOA enzyme you can get from any genetic profile as well to see if you have or don't have yeah. that gene. And we look at the HNMT gene to see if you break down histamine appropriately. We look at methylation because most of method, a lot of methylation goes towards making phospholipids and breaking down histamine intracellularly. But what we do is um, we do DAO for the gut DAO. We use quercetin and associated nutrients, including vitamin C. There's many others, Um, black cumin seed and uh, nigella sativa and luteolin for nutraceuticals. Yeah, we use those. But I usually go straight to pharmaceuticals. I go straight and I get them all compounded because if you go over the counter, you get all the excipients and dyes, which just make you worse, not better. Well, yeah, you're talking about the most sensitive people on the planet here. So those things would destroy them for sure. And I usually start with H1 blocker. I use H1 like levosotyrazine. 
you have to dose it twice a day, not once a day. Even though it says it's 24 hours, not 24 hours. And if you don't dose it twice a day, you get breakthrough histamine flares. So we use H1 blocker, we use H2 blockers, and we use first generation H1 blockers at night called ketotifen. Mm-hmm. And ketotifen only stabilizes mast cells at night, but it's also a antihistamine. So you get nighttime coverage while you're sleeping. And right. then we go on to chromalin a lot of the time. Chromalin is like quercetin. It's a mast cell stabilizer, particularly for those people with food sensitivities and food reactions. And then we go on to Montelukast or Singular, which is for the asthma, the leukotrienes. And then there's a whole host of other pharmaceuticals you can use if you need to. But generally speaking, we get most of the work done doing that. But the, you know, a lot of these very sick people, I can't take anything. I can't do anything. And they can't. And you've got to bring, I have to have to come to, patients move to Calgary to, to be stabilized. We have to get them in a neutral environment. Some of our patients have developed mold-free, EMF-free homes where people stay. While really? Be, and then they stay for three to six months. And then they get IV muscle intravenous stabilization to begin with while they're learning self-regulation. Then we add the oral supplements and muscle stabilizers while they've got IV coverage. And we're building a window of tolerance, building self-regulation, lowering the amygdala, building up the fats. They all speak to the nutritionist, Justine Stenger, who gets them on a paleo, autoimmune, low histamine, high fat diet, if tolerated. Sometimes some people need more carbs. A lot of people need more protein as well. Yeah. But it's all done through a chronometer. We do the eight-day chronometer. We do the freestyle liberal blood sugar measurements. So we get everything regulated and try and get that system to stabilize and move them through the cell danger response, which is anywhere, as I said, from six months to a year sometimes. Wow. And so do people then after this six months to a year work is done, do they then just go on their merry way and have a perfectly normal histamine from mast cell stable life? Or are these people often, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing journey, let's say. It's an ongoing um, relationship with your body and mind, you know, and yes, they move through the cell. They're not no longer in cell danger response. They're not shut down. Mm-hmm functional they're back at work they're off disability they you know they can live a life their brain fog's lifted they got they're concentrating they can focus they can have energy and but then they always have to be hyper vigilant for um being exposed they go on holiday they go into a moldy hotel room they go eat the buffet they drink mean yeah well the moldy hotels are the worst and you can't screen for those you know, the Airbnb site does not, there's no sniff test. <laughs> People crash all the time from those sort of exposures, you know. So they're always sensitive and vulnerable, but they get super educated and hyper, you know, not to the point of neurosis. But they're just I was going to gonna say of- hypervigilant is a bit of a, of a, it's a trigger word, right? Because we just spent all this time saying they have to, you know, you're helping them to retrain themselves not to be in constant sympathetic mode. So... It's conscious hypervigilance. 
They know if they walk into a hotel room and it smells musty, it's best they probably leave. Yeah. Whereas before they try and stick it out and try and please the, house, the spouse or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now they just put their foot down. Honey, I'm out of here. I don't care what we lose our deposit. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because they no. know. Well, yeah. and by then probably their spouse or their partner knows, you know, saying they're trying to fight this is just impossible. It's a world of hurt, right? You're just, you're going to be dealing with a partner who's unhappy and miserable and it is not going to be a romantic holiday. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> But we always try and make sure that the value systems of both partners are equally aligned and that the spouse comes to the educational trainings and sessions so that they get an understanding. Because it's very, you know, if you have an avoidant spouse and an anxious, you know, if you have different attachment styles, it can lead to a disaster. It can lead to marriages breaking up, you know. Well, for sure. And especially in a world where, you know, a lot of a lot of this type of patient gets told by the conventional medical system that it's all in their head. And, you know, what you said earlier, you know, go see a psychiatrist, get out of your head and you're going to be fine. This is and, you know, and then if you have an unsympathetic or or a spouse who doesn't get it. It's or a family that's unsupportive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to make the problem worse. It's going to make you feel worse. It's like it's just going to exacerbate the situation. So, you know, to bring in the partner or family member or someone as a support person who can actually get their heads around understanding what's going on. Yeah. Um, not to mention allowing the person to feel safe with someone, right? Yeah, they help co-regulate this sort of, they create this limbic resonance and co-regulation, which is extremely important in the beginning phases of treatment anyway. You know, while people are getting back on their feet. I mean, I can't tell you how many people just end up crying in my office because they say, Thank God, you know, finally this makes sense. Yeah. I'm not crazy. I, uh, you know, I can't bear the rejection by all the health preparers. Everybody's trying to do their best, but it's just not in consensual reality. The full scope of this condition hasn't re reached the academic institutions where it's now taught and, and used. It's no. still in its infancy. So it's a new way of looking at things. Yeah, it is. And it's, and do you think, do you think it was around? 40, 50 years ago, or no. is it really what you're talking about? It's the human body was not built to deal with this kind of crap, and it's just we overload. Toxins we exposed to. There's no question it's an escalating condition that's gotten worse decade to decade. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's think on that for a minute, ladies and gentlemen, and let's pull out our self-regulating devices, our brain taps and new comms and whatnots, our sensates and Apollos. I mean, there's, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you see them, right? The number of devices that are out there right now, and never mind people with MCAS, just Joe Blow walking down the street. We know that if we can help people to get out of this constant state of, of, activation hanging on you know an activation i mean if nothing else it shuts down our immune system it's, it's it really does. shifts the th1 th2 balance goes through the roof yeah yeah no we we live in very challenging times and um we can't take our you know we can't take resilience for granted anymore let alone all the political changes and all the cultural adjustments and let oh, let's not Let's forget this thought to go there. Yeah, no, we can't even go there. No, and I, I mean, you know, at this stage of the game, I think people are left 
in one of two camps. You've got the camp that's like taking up arms and saying, you know, we have to do something about this and and they're taking it on. And, yeah. you know, we need, definitely we need people taking on whatever system is broken and trying to fix it. And then you get other people who are just kind of like keeping their heads down and going, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing over here and hope it goes away. But even for that person and for both camps, the idea of self-regulation, the idea of building and and what you you said it perfectly building resilience in your system so that you can deal mm-hmm. with the with the the incoming all the time and it doesn't directly affect you and building sanctuaries you know finding a space that you know when you sleep at night you're not bombarded by your uh, router that's uh, you know the amplifier that's under your pillow yeah. or you know the dirty electricity from your switch we send building biologists into every patient's home to measure electrical fields, magnetic fields, radio frequencies, and dirty electricity. Because people with micelle activation, which by the way, electromagnetic fields amplify mold exposure dramatically. Yeah. Uh, they have to create sanctuaries. They have to eat impeccably. They have to sleep and you know, they have to create often they have to create Faraday cages with silver nets and and they have to turn off the electricity to their beds, the bed bedside lights and turn off the routers or have kill switches to their routers. And it's not neurotic. It's just makes sense. Smart. It's just smart. I mean, having it, you know, we're, I'm moving into, like, I live in a very old house. And so we're, you know, I've been kicking and screaming because my husband decided, you know, almost unilaterally we're downsizing, we're leaving this house. And I'm like, no, I like my house. I don't want to go. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here thinking, and if he listens to this episode, he's going to come over and he's going to be seriously, you said that. And, and, but we're moving into a home that was built 16 years ago. And these, I now I'm going to have a lot more options in terms of what I can and cannot do in this, like in this house, we're lucky to have electricity in that house. There will be a breaker that's associated with the room that I can but turn be off. Be careful that it's not a smart home. It's rigged up to every. It's not. No, it's not. It's not that. I mean, and you know, it's interesting, right? Smart homes, electric vehicles, um, all of this, like somebody, I, I think we went, oh yeah, we went in to get by a dishwasher and a washing machine and a dryer. And they're like, oh, guess what? You can get these smart electronics and you can program it from the car. And I'm like, why would I even want to do that? Like, why would I want to bring more of this into my life? <laughs> I don't need to tell my dishwasher to turn on when I'm in the car. I can turn it on when I get home. That's what buttons are for. <laughs> I do believe that we will evolutionarily adjust to the incoming toxic load and develop some resilience in our genetic machinery. I so like I don't, that. I like I think, that line of thinking. Yeah, I don't think we're doomed to sort of be extinct because of the incoming toxic load. I mean... Human, yes, we've had pairs of extinction, but there's a sort of, you know, whenever we support, whenever we challenge, there's always an adjustment that we make and we develop genetic mutations. Unfortunately, it is, you know, the strong survive and the weak yeah. die off. It really does mount to that in the end. The ones who have resilience, good gene pools, um, you know, they stay healthier and they, they, they survive better and longer. But we do have to adjust a whole new men, uh, healthcare model of well-being as opposed to disease care. Right. There has to be a whole shift in consciousness and an awareness of environmental toxins and all these things. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I do think that 
there'll be and and you're I've heard it from a couple of people this whole idea of you know eventually non-native EMFs acting as a hormetic stressor as long as you're not one of these electrically sensitive yeah. people if we have healthier membranes if we're eating better foods if we're you know if we're taking care of all those other things and limit the the toxins all those toxins whether it's stress or emf or food and just give ourselves more buffer human beings have value systems you know we have relationships we have social connections we have health and well-being we have mental health education we have careers and we have the making of money and then we have our spiritual calling, what we meant to do. Mm-hmm. We have to raise health as a very dominant value across the board. Yeah. We cannot take your know, absence of disease, forget about it. that's not health. No. Yeah. We know that. So when you you know, people come and see me for wellness medicine, you open the hood and they just rife with all sorts of metabolic imbalances, you know. So yeah. So we've got to emphasize healthcare. And we've got to emphasize food and emphasize nutrition and stress response and sleep and, you know, exercise and flexibility and movement. That must become the new model that we work towards. The disease care model has has had its day. Yeah. And we don't want it to go away because we still want it there when we get diseases. But we've got to replace it with a whole new paradigm that has equal clout and validity in consensual reality. And it's not you know oh those hippies over there they you know no yeah. this is real this we've got to raise health as a value system and make it stand alongside disease care well yeah. and i think to do that if it effectively it has to it even has to be taught in schools like it needs to be woven through the very fabric like little kids you know, like you know like i've and i know this when i've worked with families as a nutritionist and yeah. When the little kids get on board and they are like the secret service, these kids are relentless. Like when you get them on side, nobody gets to stray and they're awesome, but they have to be empowered and taught and, and given the tools. And the next wave was, you know, this whole surgeon general of the United States issued something two days ago saying, the exposure to social media and electromagnetics is definitely impeding children's mental health and well-being. It's you know it's gaining momentum, but we've got lobbyists who are fighting against all of it. So it's a it's a big struggle, maybe a century to evolve into a new paradigm, but yeah. it, it will eventually get there. Yeah, and it comes down to the individuals, right? I think different parents. It's up to parents to make make different choices for their kids, not buy them a cell phone when they're four. And, you know, those things, but it's going to be a process and, um, but there's hope, right? I mean, that's the good news. And the good news is that, you know, for people with MCAS, there's a sense of desperation until they come across people like you, doctors like you, who, you know, it's not like you have all the answers, but you sure have figured out a bunch of it and you can help them to get to a place, a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This patient I saw this morning had no clue she had POTS. Not only she had POTS, she was a mast cell patient, four foods and reacting to uh, angioedema, urticaria, reacts to everything. said, uh, are you dizzy when you stand up? Yes, I think I have POTS. I was told some time ago I had POTS. She did a blood pressure. She had like POTS, like the worst case I've seen <laughs> in a long time. 
And she just started putting more salt and water in her diet and she's feeding 50% bad. Just one little thing. Now, POTS isn't well recognized either. No. We don't, it's not well tested. They go for a tilt table test. You don't need a tilt table test. You just do 10 minutes of your blood pressure lying down. You lie down for three minutes, take your blood pressure pulse, stand up for one minute, take it again with the Omron, you know, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. If your pulse rate goes up over 30 beats per minute over that 10 minutes or over 120 at any given time, you got POTS. Really? Yeah. Or if your systolic blood pressure drops more than 20, you've got orthostatic hypertension. If you don't treat that, you won't fix your muscle activation. So POTS comes right up front and center. And is that because it sends a, a, a signal to the nervous system, like shit's about to go bad, and yeah. therefore that puts you in that fight or flight, like it drives anxiety virtually, right? It drives anxiety, it drives, it, but it, 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 you don't perfuse your mitochondria and all your brain. Because no, you, well, and you, then you, there'd be that, yeah. <laughs> right, you get right. hypoxia, hypovolemia, you feel awful. Mm-hmm. And they walk around sort of dizzy and can't stand up and feeling faint and palpitations and what's is ubiquitous, um, especially amongst that phenotype I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we've covered a lot of ground, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I love what I do and I, it's very pleasant when you finally can help a person put some a foot on the ground and stabilize their imbalances and um, provide insight that my colleagues in traditional medicine, I, having come from medical school, we just don't learn this. You know, it's yeah. all postgraduate exposure and interest of mine. That's why I know it. But I was going to say, what sent you down this path? Like, how did you get here? Because you're you're classically trained MD. That's like, it. you're yeah. you went to med school. I was interested as a young boy in what, how did people become the most evolved they could possibly be? So I was always curious from a very young age. What does it take to become self-actualized? From <laughs> a, very, a young age. All right. Okay. You've been around a few for a while. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I read Jung and I read about individuation, self and then I got exposed to Indian, you know, philosophies and things. So when I became an MD, I was like, these people are presenting with all these symptoms, but who are they really and who do they wish to become? So then I started to just, just examine everything that could possibly help a person self-actualize and become who they're meant to be. And that led to every single, you know, ology in the book. I had to go study everything. I still study. I just yeah. came back last night from ozone conference, learning nice. ozone. <laughs> yeah, ozone's a very interesting, very yeah. interesting area, especially when you're trying to, you know, reduce toxic load in a person. And, and, and treat mitochondrial issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have that podcast coming up too. <laughs> just stay curious. You just stay, you know, close to the, and you listen to your patients. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you said one thing earlier that not a lot of, I mean, that, you know, in the conventional system, there's no space allowed for this anymore. And it's that whole taking down a medical history with the patient. And, and, and that can, that takes time. But the person taking the history has to be exposed to a, very wide range. There has to be a new curriculum of, of healer. Mm -hmm. 
mm. who gets exposed to a very wide range of ologies and sciences and methodologies so that when they're sitting in front of a patient, they can go up and down layers and levels of healing, not just work at biochemistry and mechanistic medicine. They right. know if there's inherited trauma, if there's early defense structures, if there's, you know, they can tell just by taking the history, but their diagnostic palette has to be very broad. Yeah. You can't be trained in N squared, D squared medical school only. They have to be curious about the human condition. Yeah. yeah. And they have a curriculum that exposes them to some of the core tenets of, the, of, of what it takes to diagnose and treat a complex patient. Maybe your next job, she needs to be like starting a new med school of some kind. I've written my book is the new curriculum. I've written is a book. It? You yeah. have? Yeah. I should have that book. Not published. Ugh. Well, when it's published. I keep updating it when I learn new things. Okay. At some point, you're just going to have to put your pen down and send it off to the publisher. And you can always do a version two or an I addendum. I get told that, but I, I sit down on a Friday night to start on chapter four revision. And then I get, you know, a new podcast to listen to or something. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what? You're just going to have to give us what you got. And then you can always just give us more. <laughs> How's that for an idea? No, no, I've written this book, The New Curriculum, Seven Stages to Health and Transformation, A New Medical Curriculum. And that is the title of the book. It's based on the layers and levels of healing and how you need to uh, amplify your diagnostic and therapeutic template. And... I do wish to eventually have people fill in all the gaps of all the layers and levels that I've created and then create a new curriculum for a new healer, for a new a new way of approaching complex illness. Yeah, well, I think that's brilliant. You just, you know, you, you, the, the way to get the ball rolling, though, is to put that book out. <laughs> I've done small versions of it. All right, <laughs> like whatever. You, you put, out, put out chapter by chapter if you have to, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Hoffman, I thank you so much for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave the audience with? I mean, you've you've dropped a lot of wisdom on us, but yeah, anything I just, else? I just, I just, you know, I don't know if there's anything else to say, but don't, if you read for patients or anybody who's hearing, if you, hey, don't be tempted to find the latest diagnosis, the mold, the heavy metal, just be careful of that. It's usually that plus 50 other things. That's number mm -hmm. one. Number two, you your body is the final resting place, not only of your own experiences, but your ancestral experience as well. So it may not have started with you, yeah. which is the title of one of my friend's book, Mark Wolin, who did family work. So you, it may not be what you think it is. And there may be a complexity that you haven't even imagined. And don't lose hope because you will finally hit up, if you stay curious and you stay open, you will eventually hopefully meet up with somebody who can assist you on your transition path, you know? Yeah. And so in the meantime, you may have to deal with, you know, somebody who's got a little piece of the puzzle. Hopefully over time you can expand and meet people who've got a bigger piece of the puzzle, who can see the whole you and institute a whole person healing, not just pots or not just SIBO or not just Lyme, you know, you yeah. really, we really need to have a very broad diagnostic palette when we're sitting in front of a person and listening, listening to what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually interviewed a practitioner last year 
And she said, you know, almost without fail, the patient has the answer. They do have the um, luck team. They, yeah. they know, like they know everything changed when, or things have never been the same since, or they, it's just the taking the time to like, in her case that, you know, she had one patient, she wasn't getting anywhere with her. She went back to her pages and pages and pages of notes and came across this one thing and said, oh, I missed that. Goes back, talks to the patient and boom, it turned out to be a turning point for yeah. for the practitioner and for the patient. Yeah. And patients are very educated now. They're all over Google and whatnot. And they will come in and say, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? What about this? And nine times out of 10, their suggestions are completely spot on. Interesting. Interesting. Well, they're you know, living oh, in that really? body, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh. I got told today of a, of a salt supplement for pots that I hadn't heard of. So I go look it up quickly. Yeah, he was right. That is that is a better option than one I was using. There you go. And there's people making stuff all the time, right? All so the time. there's always Different something evolving. new. All right. Well, Dr. Hoffman, where can people find you? When, well, I'm in Calgary. Uh, you're Hoffman in Calgary. Center. Yeah. So Hoffman Center, your website is hoffmancenter.com? I don't even know. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, I think if you Google Hoffman Center, it comes up. The title is Hoffman Center for Functional and Integrative Medicine, but I don't think you have to put that in. It's just Hoffman Center. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. In and yeah. In Calgary, Alberta. This is in Canada, folks. No, this is not a U.S. doctor. This is one of our own in Canada. Very proud of him. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing. And we're looking forward to the book when you decide to share it with the rest of us. I'll get it out for sure. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you. Okay, bye now. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.